Amen. Well, let's go to 1 Peter. We're not normally in 1 Peter on Wednesday nights, but we need to squeeze the last 1 Peter message in before Vision Sunday. That's the goal anyway. It's been a blessing to get to go through this book verse by verse. And uh, we come now to the last three verses there in chapter 5. And we'll look at the final salutations and admonitions of the apostle to these believers. And who were they again? Well, we believe it was the Gentiles that were uh, scattered in, in 1 Peter 1. It says they were scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. And he, he welcomes them into the family and then teaches them how to walk through uh, the valleys, the difficulties, the persecution, the suffering, the ups and downs, the setback, without losing hope. Uh, we have a lively hope, and it is found in Jesus Christ. Verse 3 of chapter 1 says, <clears throat> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I hope if there's anything we've learned from first peter and from this whole year is that we as christians have every opportunity to abound in hope it's god's plan for us it is our right as a believer it's it's uh not something that is possible it's something that is really uh, more than that it, it is who we're to be who we are to be hopeful uh christians that are uh have so much to look forward to and so much to expect from our God. We'll look at the last couple of verses here. Uh, the last few verses, we went through those exhortations to the flock, dealing with how to respect your, your relationships, relinquish your pride, release your cares, resist your enemy, and rely on his grace. And uh, now we'll look at verses 12 <clears throat> through 14. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose. I have written briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus my son. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be unto you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Help us as we look at these last uh, three verses that you would help us with the, the application from it. And, and not just these three verses, but again, the whole book that we would take away from this a true uh, abundant hope. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Continue what Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, all the teenagers are glad that we got to the kissing verse right here. Greet ye one, one another with a, a kiss of charity. It's in the Bible. Uh, what does that mean? We'll get to it in a minute. I don't think they had COVID back then. Uh, I, don't, I don't think they had a lot of things back then. or They weren't worried about it. Whatever they had, they weren't worried about. Uh, but they were, I guess, worried about, if you will, concerned for one another. As they were all on this trail together, it was a trail of blood, a lot of martyrs, a lot of suffering, but boy, did they band together as a family. You see that here in these last few verses. You see in his admonition and salutations, uh, 
that they are a family, though they are from all over, scattered abroad, they're one people with one common uh, bond in Christ. Well, we're going to dive in here and look at a couple things. Uh, he, uh, whenever you end a letter, you want to end it with some encapsulating remarks. And that's what he did just before, and now a couple of more of those before he ends. And he's trying to uh, just make sure that in this brief letter, certain truths have been clearly communicated. And the first would be this. He wanted to reassure their foundation. And I apologize, I didn't put any of the notes in the, in the, on the screen tonight, just the verses. Uh, if, if you need my notes, I can get them to you later. But uh, uh, we'll just stick with the text and, and uh, you can make, take notes as you will. Uh, we see, first of all, the, reass the reassurance of their foundation, the reassurance of their foundation. He says, I have written briefly exhorting and, and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. Now, I skipped a, that one phrase about Sylvanus. I'll come back to that in a moment. But I want to start here with this, this phrase. I have written briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. Why does he finish with this thought? He wants to reassure them that they're going the right direction, that they are on the right trail, <clears throat> that they're standing in the right spot, and what they have heard is true. Did you know that during perilous times, even the most faithful of saints will have doubts? Even the most godly, faithful individuals who've walked with the Lord for years, will need reassurance. And you see this in the Word of God. There's all sorts of bombardment of saints when you go through difficult times, and, and our faith begins to sometimes waver. If you waver, you don't need to say, oh no, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not saved. I mean, if you're saved, you can still uh, need some reassurance, all right? You may have taken your eyes off the Word. You may have taken your eyes off the Lord. Peter was walking on water until he took his eyes off the Lord and looked at the waves, and then down he went, but Jesus was there. Jesus was his Savior regardless of those moments where he took his eyes off the Lord. I think of Barak the judge and how weak and trembling he was. Do you remember that story? And uh, Deborah and Barak... And he was supposed to be that strong man of God. And he says, I'm not going to go unless you come with me. <laughs> and she says, fine, I'll come with you. And Deborah comes with him to battle and holds his hand all the way. Uh, hey, you know what? Sometimes, sometimes God uses a barrack who's trembling, but at least, at least he went with Deborah. Gideon, he was a guy who needed a little bit of reassurance. All right, Lord, are you really with me? Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, well, let me put out this fleece and, and, and make it wet with dew, but nothing else around it wet. Okay, I can do that for you. Do you believe me now? Well, I do, but let's just switch it around just in case. Uh, make the, the, the fleece dry and make everything else wet with dew. Okay, I can do that too. Nothing's too hard for me. Are we, are we ready to go now? Well, I guess so, you know. Uh, Gideon, hey, he was a man of God. He was a man of war. He was a man that God greatly used, but he needed a little bit of reassurance. Elijah the prophet, I talked a lot about him lately, but Elijah the prophet, boy, he sees fire fall from heaven. 
and the judgment of God upon the prophets of Baal. And uh, rain comes, torrential rain, after a huge famine, a, a lengthy famine. And yet, he says, I think I'm the only one. And he had to have God come and meet him in a cave and give him some reassurance. What about John the Baptist? Did John the Baptist need reassurance? Do you remember what John the Baptist said? He was in prison, awaiting ultimately a sword to his head. He was beheaded. He didn't know that he was going to be beheaded at that time, but uh, he knew it wasn't going to be good. And he sends word to Jesus, and here's what he said. Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? John the Baptist. Wait a minute, isn't he the guy that said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And this is the same guy? Oh man, maybe John the Baptist was never saved. Maybe he just was a phony the whole time. No, he wasn't a phony. John the Baptist was born again, loved the Lord. Jesus baptized, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus was baptized of him. And, and uh, of course, there's that, that scene there where the dove comes down and, and the, the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit all represented there. And uh, he, he was a man that was greatly misunderstood. He was a little bit far out there. But he was the real deal. And Jesus said he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. So what happened? Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Folks, every single one of us are humans. We are made of flesh. Feet of clay, as they say. And if there's anybody in here who thinks that you never, ever need a little reassurance from the Lord, take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. Ah, but there was one such man, was there not? I think his name was Peter. We're in the book of 1 Peter. Peter... He once said, Lord, though all men deny thee, I will never deny you. I got my sword. He wasn't very good with his sword. He went for a neck and took off an ear. You know, he wasn't that good. A lot of us aren't nearly as good at what we, uh, what we like to think we're good at. We need the Lord a lot, in other words. I'll never deny you. He denied him three times in, his, in, in Christ's greatest need that moment where he was being forsaken by all peter forsook him with cursing the bible says and then peter himself needed a little reassurance and after jesus dies and rises again and he appears to various ones he had some special words for Peter. Peter, you're not done. Do you love me? I love you. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. And, and he, he reassures Peter, I'm not done with you. You are where you're supposed to be. You're going to get up and go and do the things I've called you to do keep going. You know what? Sometimes, folks, we need a little bit of reassurance, and here 
at the very end of the passage, he reassures them, I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. Have you ever believed something or stood for something and then you kind of look at where you're at and you look around and you say, am I in the right spot? Am I believing the right thing? Teenagers, young people who are here, have you ever thought to yourself, <clears throat> I mean, I think, I think I'm doing the right thing because, you know, mom and dad and Sunday school teacher and the Bible and preacher and so forth, but boy, I, I haven't really explored everything and I don't know, maybe I should try this or try that or... Is this really right? There's a lot of churches. There's a ton of churches in the world, a ton of religions. Am I really in the right spot? And I'm glad that we don't have to research every single nook and cranny of possible religions. We need to pursue truth, and he is truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. And if any has any doubts even tonight, Peter would say to you, where you're standing... On the word of God, this is the true grace. You don't need anything else. You don't need to second guess. You don't need to wonder, did I do it right? Are we in the right spot? Or all oh, this persecution, maybe we, maybe we are being chastised. No, you're not being chastised. This is part of the deal. And he reassures them at the very, very close. You have heard the truth, and you're standing where you're supposed to stand. Don't move from this spot. Don't move. His writing, as he mentions, is, was one of brevity. Now, the first Peter is not the longest book in the Bible, but it wasn't exactly short. I mean, not super short. There's a lot in there. But that just goes to show how much he wanted to say. But time was of the essence. He did not have the luxury of giving uh, this huge Isaiah-like portion of Scripture these folks needed help, and they needed help now. They needed encouragement. They needed to have, to, 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 to have hope rekindled now. And so he wrote quickly and, and briefly summing up the great truths that he did. Though brief, nonetheless important and authoritative, time was of the essence. It was one of brevity, but it was one of exhortation. He says, I have written briefly exhorting. The word exhorting means to admonish, to entreat to encourage, to instruct, to teach, and even has the idea sometimes of to comfort. He said this has been an, an exhortation, all those aspects, uh, uh, with apostolic authority. He had authority to do this. He had authority to write this brief message that was very direct to instruct the believers in this manner. <clears throat> in other words, <clears throat> when he says I was exhorting you, He's, he's basically saying, I wasn't making suggestions. Hey guys, why don't you think about, maybe pray about doing it this way? No. It is, there's no time. I got a short message. Listen quick. And here's what it is. And at the very end, he says, this is true. Where you're standing is where you need to stay. It's one of exhortation, one of brevity, but one of personal testimony he writes briefly but he writes uh, uh, authoritatively but he writes personally it says and testifying 
You know, when you testify, you are bearing witness to something as a firsthand eyewitness. I'm curious, anybody ever testified in court? You ever been a t- had a testimony? Okay, I have. Uh, several of you have. Uh, you, you know, it's one of those things when they, they make you swear in, don't they? And you're going to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help you, God, and so forth. And I'm always thinking, boy, I hope I don't mess this up. I hope I think <laughs> you remember the whole thing. How did it go down? Um, I remember there was one time where an incident happened at our church, and several of us responded to the scene in the parking lot. And when the police got there, several policemen got there, uh, there were, oh, I would say three of us who were involved And as soon as they got there, before the three of us could confer and say, now what exactly happened? What are we going to say? They split us up. I mean, they came in so quickly, got control of the situation, and then I was whisked away this way, my buddy that way, the other guy this way, and we each had a police officer. And the police officer says, all right, I need a testimony. Tell me what happened. And he says, and bear in mind, I am recording you right now. I'm like, oh, great. (laughs) And right there, my mind went blank. (laughs) I can't think under pressure. Uh, I was just thinking, what's he saying and what's he saying? I hope it all matches, but I thought, okay, I'm just going to tell him what I saw. I'm just going to tell him what I saw. I'm going to tell him what I heard. I hope it matches up with the other guys. I can't control what they say, but here you go. This is what I saw as best I can recall. This is what I heard. And that's powerful. It's powerful to have a first-person Uh, eyewitness account. And so he is saying, look, I I wrote briefly, but I wrote authoritatively of what I personally know to be true. He was there at the transfiguration. We heard a great message on that from Pastor uh, Peter Magnuson. Peter was there when Jesus healed people and raised the dead. He was there at the crucifixion. He was there at the resurrection. He was there at the ascension. Uh, Peter had witnessed so much. And that eyewitness account brought added comfort to these believers. Peter, the one who had struggled with so much, Peter, the one who could identify with their plight, was also the one who had seen the other side, seen the restoration, seen God's grace in his life. Peter had witnessed the suffering of Christ and was able to say, I know what I'm telling you is true. His writing was one of brevity, exhortation, and personal testimony, and his aim of his writing was that they would understand that the true grace of God is what they had and what they had been taught. By this time, there was already many false teachers. Isn't it amazing how fast false teaching spreads? And it doesn't take anything to spread a rumor, especially if it's, especially if it's not true. <laughs> That'll spread like wildfire. But if you have truth, that might not ever get out. You know, uh, nobody cares about that. Um, but uh, he wants them to know that uh, there is false teaching out there. There are false teachers But this is not that. This is true. Peter's teaching was in keeping with the rest of the apostles and the corresponding scriptures. It lines right up with Paul. And God's word always is trustworthy. 
It's the only thing trustworthy in a world that is so dishonest. And he just again encouraged them. You have the truth. You've, been, you've received the true grace of God, and this is where you stand. It's where you need to be. I think what happens is sometimes, folks, <clears throat> we look at where we're standing and we say something can't be right because everything's going wrong. Uh, you know, I, I, I lost my job and my health has fallen apart and this is happening and that is happening and there's persecution and, and all this mess. What's going on ever since I took the step of faith and, well, wait a minute, maybe it's where I'm standing. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe I should just back out of this. You know what? I, Lord, I, I tried. I, I, I really did. But I think I, think I just got to back away from this. And Peter says, you know what? I did that one time. And I said, I'm going back to fishing. I tried. I really thought I was called of God. I really thought I was going to do something great for God. And all I came out with was a swing and a miss, and I got an ear. And then Jesus put it back on. I didn't even get the ear. And I said, forget this. I'm going back to fishing. He did that a couple of times, folks. And so Peter knows exactly what they're thinking, and he says, I've been there. Don't second guess where you're standing. What's going on around you is part of the trail that we're on, but don't second guess where you stand. Reassurance. He reassures them of the solidity of their foundation. But he goes on. There's not just the reassurance of their foundation in this passage, there's also the reminder of their fellowship. The reminder of their fellowship. And I find this very interesting that there's all kinds of stuff that he talked about in this book. But one of the last things he leaves them with is you've got fellowship. You've got people. It's not just you. He talked a lot about suffering. He talked a lot about surrender. There's a lot in here about submission and surrender. He could have just signed off with that. And remember, to surrender. I mean, there's a lot of things he could have said. But the last thing he, 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 he leaves them with is all of the people they have in their corner. First, Sylvanus. I told you we'd come back to that. We skipped it. Who is Sylvanus? That's Silas. Paul's buddy. Paul and Silas, man, what did, what did Silas go through following Paul around? Wow, probably more than he, was, than he bargained for, right? But this guy had been through so much, and now he's ended up here with Peter, and we're not exactly sure how all that happened and, and, and how, who got where, uh, but what a guy. And he's faithful. The Bible says that, that Peter says here, by Silvanus or Silas, a faithful brother unto you. It says, as I suppose. Now, the way we use the word suppose, we might be like, what does he mean there? Oh, I suppose Silas is pretty faithful. I suppose. <laughs> okay, that's not how, this, this is not how uh, that phrase should be rendered or thought of. Um, this is the same phrase that you see in Romans 8.18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's the Greek word that means I suppose. And he's not saying, 
I suppose that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. That's not, <laughs> that's not it, okay? It is, it is a reckoning or an acknowledging. I suppose in this, in this uh, sense is the idea of, of him, him understanding. Where'd my notes go? Um, uh, here it is. It means to understand or to reckon and uh or to expect as i expect so he said he's saying you've got silas in your corner uh, sylvanus is a faithful brother unto you as i expect as i understand as i suppose you've got people you're not in this all alone and it says by sylvanus by sylvanus and there's different thoughts about what all that means. Uh, it either means that he penned the epistle for Peter, and you know, Paul did that all the time. Paul had other people write while he spoke. And it either means that Peter had Silas pen the epistle for him, or it means that Silas delivered it for Peter. We believe that uh, probably to be the case. Or both. Maybe he penned it for Peter and delivered it. But whatever it is, this was hard work. And this is second man work. And I tell you, Silas is a good guy. He's kind of an unsung hero in the New Testament. He's never the number one guy, the leader, but he is a faithful second man who's willing to do what needs to be done and stay faithful. If I need to help Paul, I'm helping Paul. If I need to help Peter, I'm helping Peter. If I'm helping these believers, I'm helping these believers. And he was faithful to them. And, uh, you know, if Peter can't get the book to him, he'll bring the book to him. And if Peter has writer's cramp or whatever, I don't know, and he had, Silas, write this thing for me. Uh, sure, I'll do it. What do you need me to do? I'll do whatever you need me to do. Well, praise the Lord for faithful brethren who will just do whatever needs to be done. They don't need the limelight. They don't need the glory. They don't want the glory. They are faithful, hardworking men and women of God. Silas. You've got Silas in your corner, but you've also got Marcus in your corner. Who is Marcus? It says, uh, and so doth Marcus, my son, uh, greet you. This is referring to John Mark. And this is the guy who we know as the man who basically split up the Barnabas and Saul evangelistic team. Oh, man, we had a great thing going. Barnabas and Saul all over published the handbills. Come see these guys. And then they have a disagreement over Mark. Barnabas still believed in Mark, wanted to take him. And Paul said, no, we are not taking Mark. He departed from us prematurely on the last trip. And that is, that is not acceptable. We are not taking him again. No, sir. And Barnabas, you know, Barnabas was the son of consolation. He had the big heart. He was the guy who believed in anybody. He was the guy who believed in Paul when nobody believed in Paul. And uh, praise God for Barnabas. Uh, But Paul was the kind of guy who he wouldn't have believed in himself if it had been up to him. You know, he needs a Barnabas in his life to pull him along. And Paul just can't see it. 
I don't see how we take Mark. He's too big of a risk. He'll, he'll, he'll leave us at the, at the worst time. No, we're not doing it. And so they split. One team goes one way, the other team goes the other way. Of course, Barnabas takes Mark. And we know this, that Mark is restored. And later on, Paul writes, and bring Mark, for he is what? Profitable unto me for the ministry. And then here you have Mark being referred to again as one of the faithful brethren. What does this tell us? It tells us a lot of things. And, and why would he be singled out? I don't know, but maybe Peter was just again trying to encourage them. It, it, maybe they saw themselves even like Mark. Who are we? Failures and up and down and in and out. Hey, hang in there. You got faithful brethren praying for you. Silas is praying for you. And Mark, remember Mark? He pray, he's praying for you. And hey, you know his story. He, he fell flat on his face and quit the ministry, but God didn't quit him. And he's back at it. You guys are not alone. There are people who care about you. Silas says hi. Mark says hi. These guys are praying for you. And I tell you, this just reminds me again, those who fall can get up and keep going again. I'm sure this, that, that, that would be an encouragement to these people, these Gentile believers who were being beat up by circumstances, sin, Satan. Hey, Mark is praying for us. That's an encouragement. God gives second chances. Failure is not final. Mark's impact in the ministry was not diminished because of his failure. If anything, he was refined by it. He did not become a second-class Christian or a second-class minister, someone that you would never dare to mention. Sometimes, folks, we have a horrible way of looking at people who have come through valleys of discouragement, sin, and defeat, and sometimes people have been relegated to, oh yeah, you're, you're, you're one of those struggling Christians. Who isn't a struggling Christian is what I would say. You, oh, you had a problem. I don't know if God can use you again. You know what? If you've had a major failing, a major issue, there may be consequences because there's consequences for sin. But that does not mean that your effectiveness has to be diminished. And if you're a pastor and, and you lost your pulpit, if you're a missionary and you got removed from the field, if, if you were married and you lost your marriage, that does not mean that from this point forward your, your ministry impact is diminished. Your potential is now capped. Just please exist until Jesus comes and try not to mess things up too bad. That is terribly unbiblical. That is a horrible outlook, and it is tying, if, if it's possible, the hands of omnipotence to think that God cannot use these things and work them together for good. For some folks to truly make an impact in the kingdom they may need, yeah, I'll just say it, they may need an epic failure. 
It may take exactly that to break them to the point where God says, now we can get to work. But Lord, I lost my family and I lost my pulpit and I lost my mission field and I lost my support. I lost my everything. You have not lost everything. You haven't lost me. You haven't lost my power. Maybe you lost a lot of stuff that made your head too big. Of course, God doesn't want you to lose your marriage. Of course, God doesn't want you to lose your family. I'm just saying sometimes those things, if you'll respond to them right, can be the making of you as God gives you a niche that you could have never conceived of. We have to believe that God is big. And Mark's impact was not diminished. He's still here. He's still ministering. He's still seeing God use him. Well, who else did they have? They had Marcus. They had Silvanus. They had an encouraging sister church. Babylon. Not speaking of Rome, all right? We're speaking of the Babylon over there in Assyria, the Assyrian Babylon, as best as I can tell. Um, some would say that the Babylon he was referring to was, was actually code for Rome, but a lot of scholars try to get Peter in Rome because if you need, in your theology, if you need Peter to be the Pope of Rome, then Peter needs to be in Rome at some point. Unfortunately, uh, the history books don't really put Peter in Rome. Um, Paul was in Rome. We know that. There's another early, early uh, church father who uh, was contemporary of Peter and Paul who wrote and, and wrote of them both. And, and he was from Rome. And so people have said, oh, he wrote of them both. They were both in Rome. Uh, but he writes of it this way. He's, he talks of Paul as the one who ministered in the east and west, differentiating from Peter who ministered in the east, but never went west. Okay. Anyway, uh, that's beside the point. But the bottom line here is there's another church speaking of, uh, 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 spoken of as those who are also elected, elected together with you. In other words, brothers and sisters in Christ. The church that is at Babylon elected together with you, saluteth you. And the church in Babylon was not having it easy either. And these people knew it. It was no cakewalk for the church in Rome, I'm sorry, in Babylon. And I think Peter just reminds them, as he had done just a couple of verses before, when he said, Remember, the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You're not the only ones suffering. You're not the only ones going through this. It's, it's actually common. At the very end, he reminds them of this other sister church, elected together with them, who sends them greeting from the trenches. Sometimes, folks, we have to be reminded again and again that we're not the only one going through this. And that... Uh, other people do care. And there are other people who are thinking of you and praying for you. Sometimes it is just so encouraging to hear someone say, I'm praying for you. Or I was thinking of you the other day. I get encouraging texts from you guys all the time. And it's such a blessing every single time. It's not, uh, 
like some minor thing to me when I get a card or I get a text. Hey, Pastor, I was thinking of you today. I was praying for you. Um, that is so helpful. Because what? Why? Number one, I believe in prayer. But number two, it's just encouraging to know somebody was thinking about me. Wow. God laid me on their heart. And they're praying for me. That is helpful. That's a blessing. And by the way, just do that, by the way, to each other. I trust that you do. Okay, if I'm getting texts, I'm trusting that you guys are doing it to each other. But yeah, do that. Reach out and say, hey, your brother or sister in Christ, elected together with you, is praying for you today and greeting you today. How are you doing? You matter to me. We're in this together. Bearing each other's burdens. The idea of all these people saluting you. I mean, we can read over this so quickly, and I know we, a lot of times we do. Uh, they're just saying hi, right? They're not just saying hi. They're acknowledging, I have not forgotten you. You are on my mind. You are in my heart. That is a big deal. They're saying that you have value to me. I uh, was a, a pastor's kid, and my dad would always go on these pastoral visits, especially hospital visits and stuff like that. And I always thought, does that really matter? Do people care if pastor shows up? I mean, I'm just like, come on, dad, can, 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 you, can you kind of wean people off of this? I mean, I don't think this is a... So you show up in the room, say a prayer. Can't they pray? I don't get it. And I remember when my wife and I got married and um, I was in seminary and... Uh, I've had bouts of fainting spells pretty much my whole life. Uh, I started in high school, and then I have all these, I have, I have, um, I go through years with no issues, and then I'll have, have a, a bout. And so I got married, and I guess it must have been really rough, because I <laughs> had, a, had a bout of fainting spells. No, what it was was I was married, and I had, a, I had seminary, and I was working as an apartment manager, and I was working at a hardware store, and I was getting up at about 4 a.m. to study, and I was doing an aggressive workout program because I was stupid, and uh, I was drinking tons of coffee and, and eating terrible, not my wife, I was sneaking the food. She, she cooked great. Um, and I just, uh, yeah, it wasn't good. And so anyway, they ran all these tests because they thought that I had epilepsy at first, is what they thought, that it might be seizure-like uh, things. And, and um I remember going into the hospital and stuff, and I remember my pastor coming to see me. And it meant so much. And I was like, oh, this is why dad did what he did, you know. I mean, how, how big of a deal is five minutes in a prayer or whatever? It just meant so much that my pastor came to say, how are you doing? I know you're going through this thing. They're running tests. What did they find? What's going on? Uh, we're praying for you. We're holding the ropes for you. And it was probably 10 minutes. It was probably 10 minutes, and it meant so much. Folks, you can make such an impact with a text, with each other, with a card. Some of these things don't take much time, but it just says, I care about you, and I'm here with you, and we're going through this together. And if you need something, call me. Let's talk. Let's get coffee or whatever. Let's get decaf or whatever you do. Okay. They had an encouraging sister church, and then they had each other. And here, oh, we came down to the kissing verse, kids. Mm. Now, it's in the Bible. 
so we're, we're going to be okay. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. What is this all about? A kiss of charity. Well, basically, uh, this culture, uh, culturally, this was something that was more common uh, in this geographical region. Um, has anybody been to a culture where they did the kissing thing? Anybody? I have. Okay. Yep. Yep. Us Americans are like, mm, not so sure about that. But there are cultures where you say hello and smack, smack, you know. So I was on an evangelistic team before I was married. I was a single young man on an evangelistic team with several young men college age. And we were down in the tip of Miami. And down there, everybody spoke Spanish. Everybody, they called it Little Cuba. Um, and uh, we felt like we were in Cuba, the, the, the neighborhood that we were in. And I didn't speak a lick of Spanish. And I was inviting some kids to the program. And so I walk up to them to invite them. And they laughed at me because I didn't know Spanish. I got laughed at in America. I'm like, what in the world? Okay, all right, I guess I'm the foreigner down here. Um, but we were warned by the evangelist. He said, now we're going to this church. I go here every other year. And you're going to get pecked. I'm like, what, 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 do, you, what do you mean, pecked? Like, you're going to get pecked. That's, what, that's how they say hello. And uh, I was like, okay, this is going to be weird. Uh, we're, we're in a youth group with a bunch of, like, I'm a college guy and a bunch of uh, high school girls. And, and uh, so <laughs> he told us, don't have too much fun with that. <laughs> you know? uh, well, I found out I had an advantage. The other guys got pecked several times, but me being a head and shoulders taller than all of the Cuban girls, they couldn't reach, so we just shook hands, okay? <laughs> so, but bottom line here is there are some cultures where they do this thing, the peck on the cheek or whatever, but what's he getting at? Uh, this is something that you would certainly find within a family, all right? It's not that every single Jew, when they see another Jew, they pick up, peck him on the cheek. But within the family, that, this was certainly appropriate, expected. Uh, there was a common bond that they had, and what he's saying, again, with this admonition, is greet each other like family. I'm not trying to change the text. I'm not changing the text. I'm just saying that's, that's really the underlying idea of this verse. Give them a peck on the cheek. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's your, uh, a mother figure in Christ or a father figure in Christ. You're a family. And you need to have that kind of uh, familiarity and even, shall we say, familial intimacy, a closeness. And I tell you, folks, my prayer for NR Baptist Church, and not that we just go kiss each other. Okay, that's not my prayer. <laughs> uh, Pastor CJ, watch the teenage boys after this. No. Um, my prayer is that we would be a family. That's my prayer. My prayer is that we would be warm, personal, welcoming, caring, loving. Now, as soon as, as, soon as I say that, I say, but well, how do we do this? Because I know your families, and we all do family so different don't we like some of you you take off the shoes when you go in others of you leave the shoes on you know and uh for some we do this for family time for some we do that for family time and 
Uh, we are so different. How, how can a church that is this different be family? Folks, it's possible. It doesn't mean we have to do things all the same, but it has to do with how much we care for one another, how much we want to learn about one another, how much we uh, accept one another. Within a family, there is acceptance. And we accept a lot of things. You know, Junior's feet stink all the time. And why well, won't Junior just, uh, just change his socks? And, and then there's sister. And, and sister and Junior fight all the time. And uh, no, some of that stuff, you know, we have to work through and change your socks, whatever. But we do, we are, we are, we are so accommodating with family and we accept each other. And, and uh, you're not on trial every single day for living there. Folks, the body of Christ is be warm, personal, welcoming, caring, and loving. And I know we need to grow in this. I know I need to grow in this, but my prayer is that we would together grow in this. And I'll tell you this, just a practical application of this verse, the, the kiss of charity verse, practical application. Uh, it's hard to do that long distance, right? I think a, a legitimate application, and we can go here from this passage, is that there is an expectation that we would be together. And I know that some can't be here, and so I'm glad we have live stream for that. I'm glad that those who are sick are able to catch some of the services and at least keep the, the theme and keep the burden and, 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 and keep the fire stoked. But the way I see the, the live stream ministry is it is something that uh, helps folks to be able to stay plugged in until they can get back and get plugged in. It's never to be really uh, something that we just lean on. It's not a substitute. I'm not going to be able to give a handshake, let alone a kiss of charity, <laughs> through a camera, right? Uh, but I, I think, you know what? We're talking about physical touch. For some of us, that gets awkward. But I'll tell you, sometimes even in a church, appropriately, with wisdom, there needs to be some physical touch. I've seen some of you have a word of prayer and put your arm around someone and pray together, and there is, there is a warmth there and a, and a family connection there. Uh, I've seen people praying together and, and holding hands while praying. I've seen, well, I, I remember this. I was, I was at a funeral once, and I remember just losing it at this funeral, just weeping uncontrollably. And I just remember in that moment, a hand on my shoulder. No words spoken, no prayer said, nothing but a hand on my shoulder the entire time until I settled down. And how much that meant. I don't, why does that mean? I don't know why. It's how God made us. We, we, we need one another. And in that moment, to know that someone was just standing with me, just quietly waiting for me to get it together, right? Uh, it meant so much. It, may, it means this. You're not alone, pal. You're not alone. We need each other, and we need even at times that physical presence of a brother or sister in Christ demonstrating the connection that we have as a family in Christ. So we need some proximity, and we need to have that faithful uh, gathering together as much as we can. Uh, the point of greet you one another with a kiss of charity is just Again, let's try to treat one another like family and see each other like family. And then finally, we're out of time, the reality of their peace. 
He started off with the reassurance of their foundation, the reminder of their fellowship, and the reality of their peace. I'm so glad he ended this way. The Holy Spirit knows how to write them. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, to many Jews, this is a mindless greeting or a mindless goodbye. Peace, you know, peace. And we do it today. Hey, man, good to see you. Peace. Uh, peace out, bro, or whatever. And people don't even think about what they're saying. This means something if you're a Christian. And these words coming in all, uh, in all of its context, he is reminding them, based on everything you have heard, based on the fact that you have heard the personal testimony and exhortation, brief as it may be, of the true grace wherein you stand, there's peace. Walk in peace. Live in peace. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. He leaves them with the reality that regardless of whether or not it was their reality at the moment, it is reality nonetheless. You have peace. There are times where I have been very anxious, very agitated, unrest in my soul, and I still will say, Lord, thank you for your peace. And I'm not experiencing it yet, but I'm thanking him for it, and I'm reaching out for it, because I know that is what I have in Christ. Claim God's peace, whether you feel it or not. Focus on the promise of peace. He leaves them with that reality, regardless of whether or not they felt it, and he leaves them with the reminder of their position in Christ. Peace to who? Peace to those who are in Christ Jesus. When you, in those times of difficulty and duress, when you again just remember, I'm in Christ and he's in me. I am in Christ. I am secure. That is a comforting, peace-giving situation. In Christ. In the world, yes, but in Christ within that world. In Christ is the key to abounding in hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hebrews 13, 20, we read it last week, uh, Sunday, we'll read it again. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He is the God of peace, and peace is to be with all them that are in him. I praise the Lord for First Peter and for the abundant hope that we have and the peace that we can know in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this series and for taking us through it verse by verse and, and helping us to glean some truths we can live by. I pray that you would help us now as we go to prayer. Uh, bless our, our time of fellowship to follow. Bless those who are sick and need uh, uh, help and healing. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.